I don't know if you've ever come across those websites that give you suggestions of things that you might want to do while you're alive on Earth, otherwise known as a bucket list. Here is just a flavor of some of the suggestions according to the internet. You should spend a whole day eating junk food without feeling guilty, be an extra in a film, shower in a waterfall, spend a night sleeping under the stars, sleep in a haunted house by yourself, experience weightlessness, ask your boss for a raise, throw a dart at a map and travel wherever the dart lands, and wait for it according to the internet, the number one thing to do before you die is to swim with dolphins. Now, I guess you could actually go and do that in the minch. It would be a bit fresh, but they would probably think instead of going to Florida. Of course, it's not sinful to have a bucket list, but it is unhelpful to adopt a bucket list mentality. A do-it-all-before-you-die approach to life. For those of you who are familiar with hashtags, to steal a hashtag from about a decade ago, hashtag YOLO, you only live once. So you might as well do it all now. The world tells us you only live once. And as Christians, we can easily start to be influenced by the world around us. That was very much the problem 2,000 years ago in Corinth. That's where the Corinthian Christians were going wrong. If you want to understand the thinking of the Corinthian believer, it was hashtag YOLO, you only live once. You see, an influential group had entered the church saying that there is no resurrection from the dead. You die, and that's it. And this thinking was rubbing off on the church. They were starting to believe that this life is all there is. And so naturally, they were living the you-only-live-once lifestyle. Because of this wrong belief, they were becoming like the world. Their church was pockmarked with worldliness. If you flick through 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses a new problem on every page. There were divisions and factions over which Christian leader was most impressive. Their sexual behavior was so depraved that even sex-crazed Corinth was shocked. There was no love for believers or unbelievers. They had a complete self-centered outlook on life. I can do what I want, even if it causes someone else to stumble. Selfishly, they sought out impressive spiritual gifts rather than wanting to build up the body in love. 1 Corinthians deals with problem after problem after problem. A whole load of different symptoms. And this is the underlying disease that needs to be treated. They were living for this world alone. They were living for a world that is passing away. Fundamentally, that was their problem. Their motto had become, chapter 15, verse 32, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Hashtag YOLO. That was their disease. So what is the cure? Chapter 15 is the cure. This is Paul's main message, the climax of the epistle. 
This is the ultimate solution to all their other problems, the cure to their deep underlying disease. What Paul has to say to them in chapter 15 is of first importance, verse 3. It's of first importance that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And that therefore all Christians will be raised with him. That this life is not all there is. There is a life to come, eternal life. And that believers will enjoy eternal life with new, perfect resurrection bodies. Which leads us to the end of chapter 15, our passage for this morning. The application of the book. People say that there are two certainties in life. Death and taxes. No one likes paying taxes, of course, but we resign ourselves to paying them. But death, on the other hand, that's a different story. It's torturous. It's terrifying. It's often taboo. It's a certainty. It's the great leveler. If you live, you will die. Or or so we think. But Paul has a shock for us here. Did you spot it in our reading? For Christians, there is something that is more certain than even death or taxes. Have a look with me at verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. Notice how certain it is. It will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Paul is basically saying, we may die, but we might not. Not every Christian will die. Did you see that? Because one day, the last trumpet will sound, and Jesus will return. And there will be Christians alive when Jesus comes back. And they will not die. But they will be transformed to be like him. We may or may not die, but we will certainly become immortal. There will be some Christians who get their new perfect bodies. Not through the grave. But just like that, instantaneously, in the twinkling of an eye, instead of death and taxes, for the believer, the two greater certainties are that Jesus will come back and that when he does, we will be transformed to be like him. Now, this passage is for believers But a brief word to anyone here this morning who is not yet trusting in Jesus alone for salvation. Let me ask you, are you ready for that day when Jesus will return? For the trumpet will sound and it will sound without any advance warning. And on that day, it will be too late for anyone who is not yet born again. Turn from your sins Trust in Christ before it's too late, before that trumpet sounds. That trumpet could sound this very day. And for the believer, it will be a day of joy. Never forget that our transformation at Jesus' return is more certain than even our own death.
All Christians alive on that day when the trumpet does sound will never die. Death is not certain, nor is it the end. For on that day, death will be swallowed up forever. Ever since the rebellion of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, humanity's inescapable enemy has been death. For three years, I worked in the city of London, the financial district right next to the Gherkin, if you've ever watched The Apprentice. And opposite my office, out through the window, there was another building. On the building, there was a counter, a number counter. On the 1st of January at midnight, it started at zero. By the end of the 1st of January, it had risen constantly through the day to 125,000. Every day, 125,000 plus 125,000 plus 125,000. By the end of the year, 31st of December, 45 million. The company that had that number counter sold life insurance. That number that was rising constantly by 125,000 every day was the number of people dying in the world every day. It's a very effective marketing campaign to buy life insurance. All the efforts of science, medicine, healthy eating and exercise may add a few years to our lifespan, but they can never stop death. Whether it be COVID or cancer, a stroke or a Russian missile strike in Ukraine, this passage that we have read this morning has wonderful comfort, the most wonderful comfort for God's people. For there will be a day when God will swallow up death forever. The end of verse 54. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? When Jesus rose from the dead, he was victorious over the grave. He defeated death. And our resurrection is so certain now that we can taunt death. Laugh at it. Mock it. Because that's what Paul does. Did you see? Where is your victory, death? Where is your sting? You don't have it, do you, death? Children, I like to listen in at this moment. My little sister is called Natalie, and my sister Natalie has a very serious allergy to bee stings. She is really scared of being stung by a bee. It would be very dangerous for her if she was stung. So I want you to imagine one of our family picnics growing up, and my sister Natalie spills some apple juice on her. And before long, the most unwelcome gatecrasher comes over to our family. The bee lands on her dress and is making its way onto her arm. And Natalie is terrified. When there's a bee on you, I don't know what you do. I think there's three types of people. The screamer, the swatter, and the statue. Personally, I'm a a swatter. My sister, she's a statue. She stays completely still. She doesn't move a muscle. But imagine my dad comes over and takes his hands and scoops up the bee into his hand and holds it tightly. And you notice him flinch and wince in sharp pain. He holds the bee, he gets stung, and he releases the bee and it flies away. 
Now, Natalie might say, but, but Daddy, what if the bee comes back? Might not sting me? And my dad could say, well, look at my hands. Look, here's the stinger. The sting is gone. And now that bee is as harmless as a fly. Children, in a way, that is what happened when Jesus died on the cross. You see, Jesus bore the sting of God's anger against our sin. He bore our punishment, taking our place. So that after death, the Christian, the one who trusts in Jesus, faces no sting. There's no sting after death. Because Jesus has already borne that sting instead. And so because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice, we can say, death, you have nothing on me. You might take me to the grave, death, but your sickle is blunt. Jesus has taken your venom. You've lost your sting. You won't beat me. You definitely won't keep me. In fact, you might never get your cold hands upon me. Because Jesus has the victory. He has won. And death, the final enemy, has lost. And this is such wondrously good news that Paul's overjoyed soul breaks into song in verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice what tense that verse is written in? He gives us the victory. It's in the present tense. The victory is ours now because the end result is certain. We will be raised. We will be transformed. We will have eternal life in the new creation. There is no doubt of that for the one who trusts in Christ. So now what? What does this all mean for us now? How are we to live in light of this future eternal hope? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us two applications in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. That's the first one. Be steadfast and immovable. Christian, lay your anchor here. Build your life on this truth. Put all your eggs in this one basket. Not just some of your eggs as if you're hedging your bets between this world and the world to come. No, put all your eggs in this one basket. Let nothing move you. Stand firm in this core gospel truth of the resurrection to come. Never move away from the truth that this world is passing away and there's a glorious new creation to come. Why on earth would you ever walk away from the one gospel that can deal with eternal death? Secondly, Always be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Notice the word always. Not sometimes, not just when it suits you, not just when you can be bothered. Always. Be abounding. Fully give yourself to the work of the Lord. Not half-heartedly, not lacklustedly. Fully abounding. In other words... High free stormway, don't waste your life. 
Don't waste your life with what ultimately won't matter or last. Rather, give yourself fully to serving Jesus. Not just on Sundays, but with wholehearted, whole life devotion. We can devote ourselves because this is our spare body. To be honest, it's our rubbish body. It's our weak, perishable, temporary body. Our perfect new body is to come in the new creation. This life is spare, so to speak. And so we can fully devote ourselves to advancing the gospel. Of course we can give it up now. Children, I'd like you to listen up now one more time. David, I'm going to ask you to help out. I want you to imagine that this blue ribbon, which we used to uh, tie up some uh, balloons on Hugh's house earlier this week, This blue ribbon represents eternity. Now, it should keep on going forever and ever around the world, keep on going and never ending. But let's just imagine it represents eternity. And that this little red bit here represents the 80-odd years that you will live on this world. Why is it that we get so fixated with how comfortable and easy and stress-free our life is in this little bit And that we so easily forget about all that's to keep going and going and going to come for eternity. Children and adults, live this bit in light of that bit to come. Don't forget about the world to come. Live in light of it. Because this bit is so small compared to what is to come for eternity. Always be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Parents, raising your children in the knowledge and love of the Lord, it is not in vain. Sunday school teachers teaching Sunday school and preparing all those lessons, working hard, it's not in vain. Living the godly life is not in vain. Committing to pray each week with God's people at the prayer meeting, it's not in vain. Being equipped Sunday by Sunday to speak the truth and love, to build up the body, is not in vain. Telling those who do not yet know Jesus about the grace found in him, it's not in vain. Serving Christ in whatever way that you serve him, it's not in vain. Whatever area of gospel ministry you're involved in, it's not in vain. It's not empty, meaningless, or futile. It's worth it. It is eternally worth it. I'm sure many of us are familiar with the story of Jim Elliot. Five men in their 30s traveling to the Ecuadorian jungle to reach a tribe that had never heard of the gospel where they were there martyred. Shortly before these five young men traveled to the jungle, Jim Elliot wrote some words that I think sum up in some ways what we've been thinking about from 1 Corinthians 15. He wrote, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's the opposite of you only live once, YOLO. That's you only live twice, this life and the life to come. 
within days of arriving in the area. In fact, as they arrived, these five young men were speared to death by orca spears. The watching world was shocked. The world said, what a waste. Five men in their prime, leaving behind children and widows. But Jim Elliot sure didn't think it was a waste. Because he understood 1 Corinthians 15. He was living in light of eternity. Remember that string? He was giving up his spare life so that others may have eternal life. Which in God's gracious providence is exactly what actually happened. Uh, Most of the tribe are now believers because of the extraordinary witness of the widows of those men who returned and shared the gospel with the tribe. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot wrote those words knowing full well what might happen to him. He believed that we live twice. But here's the sucker punch for me personally. When I read this inspirational story, when I read it as a teenager in my 20s, or even, if I'm honest, in recent months, going in trips across the border from Moldova into Ukraine, I would get emotional. I'd start to say, Lord, send me now. Show me the spirits. But here's the thing. The total number of orca people that they were trying to reach was about 200 people in that tribe. God wanted to call those 200 people, so he sent five men in their prime to their deaths to reach this tribe. It brings me up short because I start counting to 200. You go over there to Mackenzie Avenue, just over there in Mackenzie Park. 200 people live on Mackenzie Avenue. Do I really think it would be worth the death of five Christians to reach that 200 with the gospel? Have a think for a moment. Who are the 200 in your school or workplace or street? 200 is too big. Scratch that. Who are the two? The two classmates or colleagues, the two relatives or neighbours. Now, you won't lose your life sharing Christ in Stornoway. But are we willing to commit everything up to and including that point to reach those two people? Because it would be absolutely worth it, wouldn't it? You have two lives. You only live twice. Now and then for eternity. And this life now, it's the spare one. Always be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We serve in Moldova, three million people, three hours away by plane. It's wonderful that I know quite a bit about this church's partnership and commitment to Moldova the years. It's a wonderful thing that you've prayed, that you support generously, and that you have that partnership with the church in Nisbrun. I'll share more about that this evening. But maybe there's one person here today whom the Lord is calling to go and live there and serve there with the church in this world. You'll be a tremendous blessing to them. As a guest preacher, I can perhaps be a bit more direct. Lewis is is the Bible belt of Britain. One would therefore expect that the part of Britain to have the highest per capita number of missionaries should be Lewis. Is that the case? Is that the case here at the High Free? Maybe you think, I couldn't possibly, I'm too old. It's only for those in their 20s and 30s. 
Do you know that the fastest growing demographic of missionaries are those in their 50s and their golden ages in their 60s? Those who are approaching or have just retired, who have more wisdom, time, experience, greater resources, and have so much to offer. Maybe the Lord is calling you to think about how you will use your retirement. If not Moldova, maybe somewhere closer to home. Why not Mull? My parents live in Mull, 3,000 people, 85 miles away from this island, 85 miles away from the Bible Belt of Britain. But today on the Sabbath, sadly, not a single church on the entire island will be faithfully preaching the gospel. It is a spiritual desert on the island of Mull. Maybe people here could retire there, serve there, help to establish a church. Three million people in Moldova, 3,000 in Mull, 300 in Mackenzie Park, 300 metres away. It, it might not involve for you crossing borders. It, for some of you, it might involve crossing borders. But for others, you don't have to cross borders, but it might involve you going out of your comfort zone. You see, if you only live one life, it makes sense to put up your feet, enjoy your retirement, take it easy, Tick off those things on your bucket list. But if you have two lives, then you could spend every day, not just Sundays, but every day, fully given to the work of the Lord. And I'm not just talking about the elders and deacons, I'm talking about all of us, every member serving with the gifts that God has given them. What might this mean for your life? Let's, let's apply this right through as a worst-case scenario for one of the young people, one of the teenagers here this morning. Let's say that you're so involved with church service, gospel work, and you're so busy telling your friends about Jesus that your grades suffer at school. I know people who've done that. Let's say that maybe for your hires you get C's rather than A's and B's. Let's run that through. What would that cost you if you are fully abounding in the work of the Lord? Let's say you go to university, but you don't get a 2-1, you get a 2-2. After uni, you graduate, you get a job, but pays 20,000, not 30,000. You have to work a lot. You retire at 70, not retire early at 60. You retire on a low pension, living in a small house, not many traveling opportunities. Your children don't get much in your will. In 50 years' time, you could say, perhaps, that the rich high achiever has been more successful in life. But how about in a hundred years' time? What about in a thousand years' time? When you are walking about in in your new body, in the new creation, with your friend who had been an unbeliever, but whom the Lord drew to faith in Christ through your prayerful and loving and faithful witness, here is one thing I guarantee that your friend will never say. They will never, ever say, I wish you hadn't spent all that time praying for me or speaking to me about Jesus and studying the Bible with me. Always. Be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Before we turn to pray in just a moment, we're going to pause for a short time, just a minute, to reflect. And here's the question I would like each and every person to reflect on this morning. Who are the two 
Who are the two people that you will commit to pray for and seek to reach with the gospel in the coming year? With which two people has the Lord placed you as an ambassador for Christ? Think about that for a moment. Come up with concrete names. I might ask you about those names after the service. Pause for a moment. Have a think. And then I'll close the sermon in prayer in just a moment. Gracious, loving, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rock-solid certainty that we have in your word that one day your Son, the Lord Jesus, will return when that last trumpet sounds. And on that day, we will be transformed. We have a certain hope of a glorious eternity with you. Forgive us, Lord, that we are so often totally preoccupied with that tiny little 80-year period we live on this earth that we forget about what is to come. Forgive us, Lord. Please change us, Lord, by your Spirit as you work through your Word to see things from your perspective, to see the perspective of eternity, that we will live twice, now and forever with you. Help us to live now in light of that future hope. Help us to lay down our lives in service of you, whether that be in Moldova, Mull, or Mackenzie Park, wherever you've placed us, Lord, that we might serve wholeheartedly for your glory and the advance of your gospel. Maybe, Lord, help us to remember verse 58 each and every day of this coming academic year. Help us to be those who are steadfast and immovable, where our lives are rooted upon this hope. And help us to be those who are always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Father, we pray these things, not for our own glory, but for yours. As we long for those who do not know you to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as you, by your grace alone, open spiritually blind eyes and hardened hearts to the truth of the gospel. And we pray for this island of Lewis that those who do not know you might come to know you. We pray for the island of Mull, where there are no faithful churches meeting this day. We pray you will raise up churches on that island. And Lord, we pray for Moldova that you will continue to raise up workers for that harvest field where the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name and for his eternal glory. Amen.